Occupy a Job on Wall Street is an autobiographical novel about New York City in the aughts, centering around a protagonist mentored by sociopaths. Episode 81, Wellspring. It's 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday, sometime in the year 2000, and it is loud. The Nasdaq's opening bell is ringing. It sounded different back then. Not as much a bell as it is a clanging, like someone wailing on an iron triangle, calling cowboys in from the fields for chow in an old western. It's not a great sound. I always felt it lacked the seriousness of the cultured chimes down at the New York Stock Exchange. But memories and bonds should never be bought at face value. I've been at work for hours already, same as every weekday, but still, the Nasdaq klaxon startles and never fails to send a shudder through me. The entire morning has been just a prelude to this very moment, and every fear I've had about making money, losing money, beating the guy next to me, beating the guy downtown or in Boston or in San Francisco, about losing everything, comes together in that clanging. Some days, it feels like a funereal bell, tolling as John Donne wrote, just for me. It won't be until years later that I'll wake up in a cold sweat with that goddamn bell ringing in my ears that I'll realize how frivolous my fears and indeed my career had been. But for now, time seems to be standing still. The bell is the only thing that quiets the trading floor, even for a moment. All stocks are stuck at zero. In my peripheral vision, traders invest strike elaborate yet somehow mundane poses, tense and ready for the daily chaos that's about to ensue. Newspapers, telephones, memos all in hand, they're just waiting to burst from the gate. And then, a switch is flipped. The moment has arrived. An explosion of sound and fury. It's 9.30 and the madness begins. I panic. I panic all the time. It's the nature of the beast that tries to consume me every day. Mainly, I'm driven by the fear that people will realize that I'm a fraud who shouldn't be here, making the kind of money I'm making, screaming and clawing and wrestling in the capitalist thunderdome that is the Nasdaq. They'll laugh when I trip up, when I fail, when I have to go live at home with my parents, take a job at McDonald's, become a loser, pushing diabetes and heart disease to other losers. Today, though, it's worse. Way worse. The dam breaks. Without conscious thought, I'm up and out of my desk, my mind screaming at me to stay put, but my legs won't stop. They're caught up in my panic and are conspiring to rescue me, to get me out of there. I run walk past various traders and part of me is envious and mystified. How can they not be scared? How do they do it? Hustling, making deals, calling brokers, selling stocks, handing off tickets, making plans, calling meetings, getting angry, spilling coffee, all so effortlessly. Almost like they don't think about how the rest of their world depends on their ability to buy or sell at this exact moment. Am I the only one whose reaction to the recent market turmoil is a descent into paralyzing fear and doubt? As if it too senses my weakness, the Nasdaq makes a strong initial rebound. On a monitor, I see a fragment of CNBC, their sneering hosts seemingly elated at my weakness. In my blind panic and stupidity, I've walked into the worst room possible. My bosses. I can't figure out how I ended up here, of all places. Thank God his back is turned. Holy shit, let me get out of here before he turns and sees me. He's on the phone. Without hearing the words, I can't tell if he's mad or deliriously happy. They sound the same to me. Is that right? Well, tell me this, then. Tell me if this sounds like I'm hanging up on you. He slams the phone down. And just like that, I'm caught. Although our eyes don't meet, 
He knows I'm there. He sees everything and everyone all the time. I'd ask him how he does it, except I spend most of my time avoiding him altogether. I know I'm a fraud, and if the traitors on the floor can see it, then this guy can smell it. Fuck TMT. I want to get long pharma and biotech. What do you think? My lizard brain registers that he's talking to me. I'm on the spot. It's sink or swim, with my boss asking me the $64 million question. There's a drawn-out silence while I watch him doing some sort of dance in the window, maybe shadow boxing. It's loose-limbed and vague, and I don't want to stare too hard at him anyway. I feel obliged to say something, anything. Um, Pfizer has that big dick drug with a biotech firm, I offer. Everyone likes hard-ons. That seems like a good idea. Right? He looks at me for a moment, his face inscrutable, backlit by the rising sun. I'm not able to see his eyes, but that's a good thing right now. I don't want to guess what he's thinking. After what seems like an eternity, he screams to no one in particular. Hey, stupid! Get me Mother Merrill's biotech analyst on the phone right now! All the stupids behind me leap into action. Several traders hit their direct line simultaneously, desperate to connect with their best contacts at the bank. I turn around and see a senior trader frantically gesturing at me to leave, but I'm frozen in place, curious to see the gears of my firm turning. Eventually, one of the traders finds the right person. Henry on line one. Without emotion, he acknowledges the comment and reaches for the phone. Good job, dipshit, he says by way of thanks. My boss is momentarily calm as he picks up the phone, and I see his brow furrow as he first tries to pay attention and then relax again as he starts to lose interest in the details of the conversation. In no time, he's actively looking for the fastest way out. Yep, that makes sense. Good. Okay. Understood. I said I understand. This is just between you, me, and the English-speaking world. He hangs up the phone and turns back to the traders, who wait with bated breath. Get me the Jewish JFK! Now! The Jewish JFK works for a white shoe research broker. They're strictly agency. They don't like making markets. They don't like the biotech sector. They don't like anything that smells bad. Their culture mandates that if they can see a line, that means they're too close to it. With the benefit of hindsight, I suspect my boss kept an account there just to mess with them, to see if he could poison the well a little. No, I don't know anything. And no, this is for my personal account. Just stop me on the offer. No, there's not a million shares behind it. On the line with his guy, our head trader was buying a position in a Seattle-based biotech company. As he talks, I can't help but take notice of the other traders nearby working overtime trying to conceal their eavesdropping. But I can also see charts of the company ticker, CTIC, begin to pop on all screens around us. It closed at $38 the night before. You're done! He spins around. The traders who'd forgotten to pretend they weren't listening swivel back toward their screens. I suddenly find my shoes incredibly fascinating and gaze at them intently. The head trader takes it all in, an almost smile crossing his face. Then, as usual, he resumes screaming. I know you were all listening. If you're dumb and you weren't, the stock is CTIC. Get on your phones, tell every portfolio manager in this firm we need to get long this sucker in size right now. I begin to edge out of the area at this development, but he calls me back. You! You have one job! Get Buzzy on the phone in 30 minutes! 
Stunned to find myself here, and unsure if I meant to do anything else, I keep my eyes down, sneaking occasional glances at a Bloomberg, where the price on CTIC begins its inexorable march upward, driven solely by our hedge fund's trades. $38 and an eighth. $38 and a half. $39. $40. $40 and a half. The boss breaks me out of my reverie. Hey, idiot! Get him on the phone now! I'm on the phone with Buzzy, trying to make him some money, trying to help him make us some money. I hear Merrill puts an $80 target on the CTIC any minute now. Sure, you can tell your clients. You can thank me later. When CTIC hits 47, Mark pulls the trigger. It's the first time I've seen him smile today. He picks up the phone, calling another broker. Sell 20,000 CTIC. Yes, here is fine. No, there's not a million behind. Just stop me on the bid. It's for my personal account. There's a pause. He just made $180,000 in less than an hour. He should be happy, but clearly he's not. Turns out there's another errand to take care of. The dinner he's supposed to attend that night. He'd complained about it earlier. The Morgan sales department had scheduled a big soiree at some trendy bullshit restaurant in which Mark wouldn't be caught dead, hobnobbing with minnows so some asshole sales pukes can write off the hours they'd spend boring him to death as a business expense. Fuck that, he'd said earlier when grousing about it to no one in particular. By the way, he growled into the phone, I need to cancel dinner. I'll send my assistant instead. Don't bust my balls on this. Something just came up. Mark hangs up and swings back to me. I know new problems are coming my way. I need to go buy a car. You're going to go to my end-of-year dinner tonight with Morgan, Bear, and DLJ. Learn as much as you can. Also, try to remember one thing. He sidled around his desk and came so close that we were almost nose-to-nose. He thrust a chubby index finger in my face. These guys make more in an hour than I'd consider paying you for the entire year. But you are the client. Make sure they kiss your ass. Now fuck off. So I went. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why it's better to be lucky than smart. Episode 82 of Occupied Job on Wall Street will be out soon. And hey, if you like the podcast, then rate us on iTunes. I promise, if they hadn't closed all the Apple stores, I'd just go to one of those and do it myself.